Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Freep beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it's been exactly one month since we last convened for a podcast. What is going on in your world? I mean, it's a, it's been an interesting time with being on and off work for both me and Graham and everybody else, um, you know, in there's not a lot of sports going on. They're starting to ramp up a little bit, but for the most part, I just tried to take my time away from the job to be a little bit away from sports. And it's amazing how easy that is when there aren't any sports going on. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, you know doing other things outside of the sports world, writing about food, which is my other love as Chris is well aware, you know, I, I drool on my, it's not just me. I'm not the only one well aware. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, uh, you know, and you're not the only one who, Obviously, as well, love of food right as, here. As someone who is 5'8", 270, obviously, I am a huge fan of, that's, of food. <laughs> that's a good point. You, you may have us all beat I think there. I've got everybody beat in, in both <laughs> departments. <laughs> I remember, uh, so back when Kim Jong-un was uh, supposedly dead or about to die, there was all these comments about how unhealthy he was, and they mentioned his height and weight, and he was he's like 5'8", like 267. Everyone's like, oh, my God, who is this monster because of his body size. <laughs> the reading's not like, oh my god, oh no, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to yeah, ask myself some questions that? here. <laughs> yeah, that guy is incredibly unhealthy. Well, in the last one since we last talked, there has still been quite a bit of Michigan State news, and we're going to do our best here to kind of hit on all of those topics and uh, what we got going on today. We're going to talk about the NCAA Division One Council's decision on Wednesday to allow football, men's basketball, and women's basketball to resume voluntary workouts on June first. Then we'll do some Josh Langford NBA draft talk. We'll talk about the Curtis Blackwell lawsuit, which had some breaking news. And then we'll talk about MSU players who were drafted, undrafted for agent signings. We'll talk a little recruiting. And then a little Osvens in the podcast. All right. Well, let's start with the NCAA Division I Council. As I said a minute ago, they voted on Wednesday to allow football, men's basketball, and women's basketball to resume voluntary workouts on June 1st. This is obviously very huge news within our world and with the college basketball world, or college sports world, I should say. What is your guys' kind of reaction to that, and were you surprised that they're really going to get this ramped up here so soon? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, um, but I also would caution thinking that this is going to be everybody's back to practice, too. I mean, I think they're they're taking a measured approach at the NCAA level uh, first to, to open things up, but also to understand and and put it out there that you know it still goes back to the conferences it still goes back to the local municipalities and and state governments that are that are in charge of where each state is individually as lockup um you know i i I can't call it quarantine because i don't necessarily think it's quarantine i mean you're you stay at home orders in most places to prevent things from happening and you know you saw in michigan on when on thursday 
that that uh, Governor Whitmer started to relax things a little bit more in terms of social distancing gatherings of ten people or fewer. Um, so how does that work? I mean, you can you can't at this point in most states, in particular Michigan, you're not going to be able to get a uh, hundred football players together to practice. So you know. After the conferences open up, after the the state governments relax things a little more, you may see a few more things. Um, but I think for the initial phases right now, you're talking about limited individual or small, small group workouts, which, um, you know, I think for basketball, for men's and women's basketball, it makes a little more sense because you've seen that at the NBA level right now. Uh, from football, I don't know how it will work other than maybe weight training. Um, and, and the voluntary aspect to me, Graham, uh, is the interesting component of this because, and, and I wrote about this on, on Monday, uh, one of the things that people don't realize is these, these athletes are not paid. They're not, this isn't a job. Um, if, if you've got a high-profile guy who could be in the, the 2021 draft for NFL or NBA, they could just say, you know what, I'm not going to play this year because I'm concerned about that. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I think that are still to come, but this to me was a step. Yeah, I mean, because before you can have, right, uh, team workouts, before you can have practice, before you can have games, you got to have the team <laughs> able to yeah. use the facilities and, and congregate. And, and what's interesting is, it will be interesting to watch as this happens. Are, is there, a, uh, you know, an outbreak or a case somewhere of a college athlete who's diagnosed, and what is the reaction? Because I think as we go into sports, one of the things that's very clear is it, it, it can't be like Rudy Gobert, right? One one, one um, positive test for COVID nineteen cannot be what shuts down everything. We, we have to be in a place where we can handle that and quarantine and contact trace and all that stuff. And test the people around them, and but even but even that though you saw how quickly there were more than one case sure. in the NBA. So I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just simply the one case. It's just the quickness with which it can spread in close contact and and proximity, uh, in whether it's living conditions or workout conditions or physical contact uh, of the game itself. And, and I think by the time we get to games, if they happen on time, and, and like college football, which I think is what most people's interests are. Um, you know, we'll have because what's going to be interesting is you come back for voluntary workouts, which how those look, how many guys can be together, because, you know, it's 10 people around, allowed around each other, but they still want social distancing. Right. So, you know, what those can look like. Um, and then as you start to go into team workouts, there are probably going to be cases before games. Right. And where, it's, where it is minimized, at least to that individual team and how you handle that. And that that'll be interesting to see, too. What, what's also interesting, Chris, is. You're starting to see, and this is a shift in the last week. We went from, well, college football start in October. Could things everything start late because of this? To Notre Dame, South Carolina, other you know schools in the ACC, like North Carolina, just now moving their semesters up and trying. To, and some saying if they're not moving up, getting getting rid of fall breaks, getting kids out and going online after Thanksgiving. They're trying to avoid the second wave now. They're, that's sort of the, the mindset. Everybody's sort of trying to avoid this this thing they can't see and don't really know what's going to happen with. But it, you, you get to a point where, yeah, we may be in a spot where college football is actually more doable than college basketball. Uh, you know, and so I, it, it, there's just so little we know. I, I just think that's an interesting 
that's an interesting move that has happened in the last week where it was like, can you have people back on campus? Now it's yes, and let's get them back earlier because we fear what's coming down the pike. Well, and, you know, I think if you look, uh, I believe it was uh, Singapore that there was they they had done a good job of minimizing things. And then all of a sudden they discovered in in workers dormitories uh, that there was this massive outbreak. Um, and that's, I mean, you, you, you talk about things that, that can cause this. I mean, you know, assisted living facilities with the elderly. Um, I think it's, it, you know, you, you look at it, it and part of it is age, but also part of it is the quarters in which they live. Um, and I think when you talk about sports itself, you know, how are they going to deal with the locker rooms? Uh, that's, that's to me, a big component of this. Um, you know, you're talking about upward of a hundred guys in a locker room, sharing the same space, changing, uh, using showers, using restrooms, using sinks, all these facilities that are right there that are part of the daily ritual of, of sports. How are you going to deal with that? Because, um, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's cafeteria. It's their dorm life. It's, you know, it's yes, a lot, yeah, yes. A yeah, no, yes, sure. I mean, shared bathrooms in the dorms, um, yeah. you know, whether it be a small group in a, in a, in a quad type setting or a, a open floor plan, which I think case hall still has. Um, so there's, there's so many things that they have to figure out, uh, before you get to that point of, of saying it's feasible to get it back. Um, the second wave situation to me, also is, is going to be interesting. I mean, they're projecting, I think, November uh, as a potential for a second wave. But the question to me is that with the current structure of social distancing and everything else, and how would these sports, in particular football, which involves physical contact, which involves you know, sweat, spit, all these things that really come into play when you are right next to someone – um, that can be that that's where things get transmitted. So I, you know, there's a lot that still has to go into this, uh, from a logistical standpoint, this, this to me is a good first step. Um, and I think these, these schools have to project these models, you know, you know, Ohio state has to have their model saying we're going to have operated 20,000 capacity, but that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen. I mean, they could still go without fans. I just think that's the important thing to understand. Everybody's got to be flexible, and it, right. it is happening, right? Because everybody is an expert is an expert in something else, and even the people who are public health experts haven't exactly seen this. And so, nobody, people who are really smart and, and have figured out a number of situations for a number of other problems in their life or in their careers, there, I don't know what we're going to be doing. And and so that, that I, yeah, I think that's the big thing, it, it, and I think that's hard on all of us, right? We just, I think one of the things that it's hard when you're writing about a team or you're thinking about the, the the individual players or parts or, you know, whether you're running a 4-3 defense or who starts here, it is hard to for, I think, for fans to get interested and excited about something when they can't yet picture the thing happening. You know what I mean? I think that's a, that's oh. a, a mental hurdle. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not just the fans. I mean, the, these coaches have yet to see Michigan State's football team on the field. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing about the changeover here. I mean, it wasn't like they had uh, a full offseason. I mean, most of that month of February was was spent with Mel Tucker building his staff. And then those first few weeks in March were spent preparing to get on the field. So, 
I mean, they wasn't like they were around workouts or getting a chance to do anything other than watching film. Uh, they they have yet to see these guys, so that makes it tough. Uh, and and I think that looking ahead to to what could come, uh, you know, you have to be flexible. I mean, think about this. You 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 mentioned that, but we don't still know a lot about how this virus works. They're learning more as we go along, but. The, remember how quickly everyone panicked about surfaces. Well, now in the last few days, well, surface contact and transmission might not actually be there. It's more person to person. There's an evolution that's going on within the, the research that's going to dictate what colleges and athletic departments are going to do. So things could change wildly within a week, a month, um, two months. I mean, you, we, you could you could get prepared to to play and research could say something else something completely different that that you know sweat could be a transmitter um then what do you do you know it's it's that's kind of what you just have to kind of keep an open mind when you hear people saying this could happen this may happen that the research is still going to dictate what is going to happen with with these colleges to to get students back on campus and to get sports going again yeah, we've kind of seen some interesting decisions from universities. Like Notre Dame has moved up their their fall schedule. Like the kids are coming in early August and they'll be done by Thanksgiving, for example. I assume that's to combat any return of the coronavirus from the cold weather. But then what are they going to do with the football schedule? Are they going to still play, start season on Labor Day weekend? Or do you think a guy might get moved back a month? Or do you think my, is still playing in January on the table? What are your guys' kind of thoughts on that? Well, first, I think that's – that's a plan. I think that you, you, they're not going to, I think that they're planning to do that. And again, I think that's, we got to be very cautious with the language. And I think that, you know, you're not saying that this is going to happen. This is the plan to happen. Um, I think that's, that's important that, that people understand that it, Notre Dame's interesting. And I think also the other interesting one on Michigan state schedule is BYU. Cause they're both technically independents. Um, you know, Notre Dame obviously has six games contracted with the ACC. Um, so if it's if it's going by conferences making these determinations, um, how does how does a BYU fit into that when they've got a contract with Michigan State? Uh, and let's say the Big Ten says we're only going to play Big Ten games this year. Well, that's a tough spot for both Michigan State and BYU contractually. They will have to work something out with that. Same with Notre Dame with all of their games that that aren't those six contracted ACC games. I completely agree. Now, I, I think I, I would be surprised if Michigan State winds up in Provo this year. But again, that's just that's just my again. We're guessing on information now, um, and uh, you know who, who knows. I, I, I they're going to play college football at some point unless things really go awry because they have to. Um, when you ask about the spring, I you know for a long time I thought that was a sensible idea, and I still don't think it's. The, the pro, here's the problem with planning for the spring. And as Chris brought up a good word, this is the plan and, and you don't know. Yeah. But say you plan for the spring and a second wave hits bad in mid-December and you're supposed to start games in early January playing in Indianapolis, Detroit, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, wherever indoors or whatever you're doing, however you set it up early on. The problem is now you have nowhere to go with that season. Whereas in the fall, if you plan for the fall, and what, what, what I would do, I think, if I and obviously this is a logistical nightmare, but I would plan for the fall of our college football and build a contingency for the spring. 
And because if you plan for the spring and you plan to skip the fall and it turns out we get to the fall and think there is a, a break where it's not as bad or you could have played and you don't and then you get to the spring and it's like and there are a number of other issues we, we I think we talked about before even with the spring that you have to deal with in terms of you know in concert with the NFL draft and because even guys who aren't top prospects are, are planning to work out and that's the dream and that's the goal there, there would have to be some real coordination there to get uh, seniors and talented upperclassmen to play in a spring uh, that, that was leading into it, an NFL NFL off season of, of preparation and showing off and all that stuff. So I would plan for the fall if I were them, and but I would build in like because you don't want to start that one if something breaks down. I would build in ways and ideas and things you can try to put in place quickly if it if it things go awry. And I've said this. I don't know if I said this to you guys or, or to others, but uh, I, I just don't see how you can have a, quote, season in the spring and then expect these guys to quick turn for the fall season, the regular fall season. I think uh, in the spring, you know, you, you don't give guys recovery time, and that's not good for their health and well-being. What I would do, and this is my my pitch to the NCAA right here because I know that Mark Emmert's watching – um, although the NCAA has no no say so over the the college football realm is where we we learn more and more. Um, but I would what I would do is make four or five, you know, a lot a lot them instead of having spring practices, allow them to experiment with scrimmages. You know, whether it be four or five, whether it be in conference, whether it be regional, uh, you keep teams in the same regions and open them up small. You know, you you can use it as an experiment. I don't think you use it as a season. I think you use it more as an experiment, an opportunity to showcase guys against other teams. And, and you know, it because it, it, people have talked about people have talked about that for years. You know, how could we do scrimmages in spring football in lieu of just the traditional inner squad scrimmage? Um, could you bring in other schools? I, I think that's one way that you could try and be different. I think there's got to be a lot of different things on the table. And I don't think I think to me this is the time to, if you have it, to be creative with some things. Yeah. I mean, my, the, the only concern, I, and I do agree, creativity is fine. The, the, the challenge is, right, it's, it's really about the finances of football and, and monetizing that with whatever television contracts you are and how many fans you could put in the stands. And, and um, that's, that's the trick if you get stuck in a situation yeah. where you're, you're dealing with something that's not an actual – actual season i mean because but if you get to that point where you are talking about that long a layoff the eyeballs will be there for tv i mean if, if that's if that's the no, if yes, that's, no. yes no, they, they will be yeah it was, are the tv partners willing to do it and you know the i mean that, that i mean obviously these are just well, the tv partners were willing to try and get the kbo on so i think they'll be willing well, to get college football but if you have an NFL season and you don't have college football and you've had the beginning of an NBA or the end of an NBA, if you've had other things and college football is like, you know, one of the last things to come back, it won't be quite the hunger that, that, that exists in the same way now where, where Korean baseball is and NASCAR are becoming intriguing to me. Yeah. And, and we also don't know the unknowns of what could happen with the NFL or the coming back or with the NBA coming back. I mean, you could have a second Rudy Gobert situation that shuts everything down again. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's just the, the unknowns that we've got ahead of us right now. Yeah. I don't know if you guys watched the Bundesliga at all this past weekend, but like the first couple of games, everyone was doing okay with like not high-fiving and 
contact, you know, after goal celebration, stuff like that. But you could tell as the weekend wore on that you, it's just natural instinct when you're playing sports to, you know, touch people, high five that stuff. And that's something that's going to be hard for people to break, I think. Well, well, Graham knows this. How many times have I said over the years when we played softball that, that this is the year I'm just taking it easy, I'm taking it light, and next thing I know I'm diving up the middle or running trying to get a triple and sliding with shorts on and scuffing up my legs and realizing what an idiot I am but it's just when you've done things one way for so long it's impossible especially in that you you can't change your competitive mindset in those situations or turning around and barking at Carol or Paul Henderson in the outfield for for dropping a fly ball (laughs) Uh, I, I never played with Carol. That's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, before this podcast turns into a horrific description of the LSJ 2019 softball season, let's talk a little bit about Josh Langford. Graham, you broke some news on Wednesday that Josh Langford has expressed interest in returning to the Michigan State basketball team. And Tom Izzo seemed like he was very supportive of that decision. Well, yeah, I think, you know, if, First of all, if you get a guy who's a senior, who's a leader, who's anything close to what he was, it's a huge, huge pickup. Um, and it's, it's funny because it's like, you know, Chris has had these conversations with Izzo and everybody, you know, this, it was not even like the, you're just chatting with Izzo and this sort of thing comes up like it's no big deal. And I'm like, what? wait a second, you what? what? And that's, I mean, it's typical, uh, typical uh, Izzo dialogue where, he, you know, he, he would bury the lead of, uh, of something like that. But the, um, yeah, I know. I think it's 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 potentially a big deal for Michigan State in that it gives you a a senior, a veteran has been through a lot. You see the fan sort of interest in that. I mean, this is the value of guys who have been with the program for a while. I think there are a lot of people rooting for him. He's been through a lot. But if he's the player he was or close to it when he left, he's a shot maker. He's a uh, vocal leader. Um, he's a terrific defender. Uh, he and he, He's got a lot of sweat equity. He gives you a ton. Uh, the, the challenge is a little bit is perhaps the scholarship situation. Uh, if, if everybody comes back, including Xavier Tillman, uh, you're and everybody stays, you're you're at 13 then, right? So, um, so I think that that would be interesting. But yeah, Izzo, I mean, Izzo, I think it always was going to welcome him back, and and um, and it just makes a ton of sense for Langford because look at all the uncertainty. The one certainty you have is a, is a college basketball program that'll have you that'll give you a good platform um and you know and the flip side of that and i think the reason people thought he might go is the idea that a he was either just he'd done enough time in college or if you don't trust that foot has a whole lot of time in it and you want to get something out of a pro career somewhere but what's going to be there overseas what is the g league going to look i I think there are a lot of uncertainty everywhere and, and the most certain thing although we don't know college basketball season will be normal this year either but the most certain thing for a guy like Joshua Langford right now is that he's got a pretty good situation in Michigan State in front of him. Well, and to me, the thing that, that comes into play here is the timetable. I mean, when you look back at, at his first injury, I mean, he had it in December of 2018, uh, but he didn't have surgery until February that year. Uh, was off the court until, I believe, early to late August. Somewhere it was, it was in, I believe, in August of last year, but then he was back on the shelf by October. Um, maybe, and I think there was some some concern that he maybe rushed back. He had the surgery this time in December, um, so that would put him maybe in a June July time frame if he hadn't already had a surgery within that same calendar year. So how does that extrapolate out the the second recovery from the same surgery in the same area? Um, 
does that extend the the i mean you're going to want to err on the side of caution as much as possible if you're both msu and if you're joshua langford right now you don't want to rush him back um you want if you want to get him like you said to the point where where he is the the most optimal player that he can be the the other concern with that is russell Byrd, and that's who graham reminds me of with his beard a little bit is russell Byrd right now i'll take it um uh, I figured you would, uh, but but you know the foot in particular. This is why it's an issue. I mean, Russell Bird was never the same player Tom Izzo recruited uh, in high school with the foot injury upon foot injury upon foot injury. I mean, this is these are your tires. You know, people talk about how much how much we, tread do you have left on your tires. That's legit. That's a legit thing with with basketball players' feet. Because um, if you can't cut, if you can't move laterally defensively, which is one of Langford's strengths and hallmarks, um, if, if that becomes minimized, then you're not necessarily the same player. That said, I mean, this is still a five-star All-American kid who was starting to play like that uh, yeah. in 2018 before before the injury. So, I don't know. You, t- you take that chance. And he he's, I believe, right now the only McDonald's All-American on the roster. Uh, yeah, I just think, you know, obviously there are some ramifications with what that means for a guy like Rocket Watts. Rocket Watts is still a guy they're not sure how they want to use and, and what's best for him and what's best for the team with him. And if you have a Joshua Langford back and you have an Aaron Henry back and you have, say, Tillman comes back and you have Joey Hauser there, maybe Langford agrees to do some sort of, you know, off the bench sort of thing. You can see that that scenario maybe, uh, but you still got a guy like Gabe Brown who's in that role too. There, there, there's a lot of stuff that becomes interesting, and you know, we we may not have a, a a firm picture of this Michigan State roster moving forward till till like August. We we don't know right now when players are going to have to withdraw from the NBA draft. We have no idea when the NBA draft is going to be, and so if if all that stuff's delayed, when Tillman and and Henry have to make decisions is is still down the road, and. and uh, um, you know, if, if one of those guys uh, leaves, it, you know, and you, you still got the flexibility to bring somebody in and you can, uh, especially if it's Tillman, you know, you, you can do a number of different things. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be interesting to watch what the what sort of the dominoes. I think the roster is very much in flux. I think, too, that, uh, you know, the, the, the blueprint is there for Langford and how they used Kyle Arns last year. Um, you let him, if, if he is back. You let him feel his way into it, uh, test the foot, come off the bench, play limited minutes early on, ease your way and integrate yourself back in. And then when you are either physically ready or realize that the end is near, you let it go and, and go as hard and as long as you can for as, as much as you can. I think I thought Arns, the way they used him this year, uh, and we're using him down the stretch, uh, I thought that was kind of one of those things where you saw how a Langford could fit into the, the next year's group. Right. And I think the, the hope for Langford's hoping he's a bigger role than that, but you're right. The days yeah. of the days of what, what he played 40 some minutes at Louisville or whatever like that, and that overtime, yeah. those are probably over uh, just not even just because I don't know if his feet could take him because you want the idea is he would like to have a career beyond Michigan state too. And you're trying to give him the best chance for that. You're trying to give him a platform to, to make sure he can remain healthy. And, and um, yeah, so I, you know, it's not like he'll take all the, the minutes from anybody else. It is just interesting when you start to look at the roster, if the roster comes back as is because Tillman and Gabe Brown come back, or sorry, Tillman and Aaron Henry come back and nobody leaves. And I still think it'll be interesting to watch the big guys 
And everybody talks about Foster Lawyer and what might he do. But if you look at what the look at the roster and where they're thin and inexperienced, you you don't want to lose a guy who's played two years of Big Ten basketball as a point guard off this roster. The bigs, though, if you get Tillman and Joey Hauser in the lineup, and the way Malik Hall's developed and other things, that's where it gets to be a real. Gl- I, I would be that's that's the area I would yeah. I would watch I would watch more. But if everybody comes back as is, and you're going to put your best five guys on the floor at a time, it would seem to me that Rocket Watts would be at the point. Yeah, thin and inexperienced uh, sounds almost like you're talking about Marcus Bingham. I mean, when you talk about the bigs, I mean, and he's a great. I mean, because he's the stretch four that. Hauser would probably take a lot of those minutes and, you know, minimize the role. So, but they love what he can bring as a shot blocker and as an outside shooter that doesn't necessarily translate to what Matty Sissoko's game is that they'll be getting um, in terms of the four. I mean, Sissoko is more of a five, um, you know, but Bingham's got the length of a five playing the four kind of in that Adrian Payne mold. Um, So, you know, it, that, that's a great case in point, though, of Izzo talking about the long-term development of a player um, w- with Bingham, that if he thinks about leaving, well, it's possible because of that, the the Hauser situation and some of the other bigs, but he also has a chance to blossom into something special later on, too. If I were if I were Marcus Bingham, and, and this is easy to say as a 40-year-old dude with a 6'2 height and a 5'8 wingspan because I'm built like a T-Rex, Mm-hmm. If I were Marcus Bingham and I had the maturity of a four-year-old and the right guidance and I was thinking about my long-term ability to make money in this in the, in the game, I would consider doing what they wanted to do with me as a freshman. If Tillman were to come back, I would consider redshirting and spending a year on myself. And, you know, that would give you the – you'd have two years left. Hauser may be a one-year guy there, you know. You know uh, Tillman would have one more year. You'd have two years left after that. You'd have a year to truly just work on your body and and build yourself, your skills. And and that that would be my play. But then again, that would not have been my play when I was 19 years old. Yeah. So that's easy said. The, and, and Izzo's done those mid-career uh, red, shirts, yeah. red shirts. It's been a, It's been a long time. I mean, I think – what uh, Morris Peterson had one uh, after I believe his true freshman year. I think and, no, I think he did, no, he redshirted normally, but he played for a minute. Um, he, he there was, is but Arn, I guess Kyle Arns did one. It was injury based. Yeah, that was, but even not injury based. I feel like did, did David Thomas maybe do that as well? Yeah, but his his was that knee, right? Wasn't it? But maybe it yeah, was yeah. I mean, it may have all been injury based. Yeah. So, but but yeah, so but, yeah, it would be an interesting. There there might be somebody we're missing, but that's an interesting. Yeah interesting idea and it's one that again these i know it's hard for a 19 20 year old kid to think i'm gonna sit out um and and bingham could certainly help them i'm just saying if, if and, and and maybe even all he needs after that is a year so i'm not saying it's the best move but uh it, it you know those those are the yeah. sort of options you can look at all right well let's segue a little bit to the nba draft uh you mentioned earlier in the conversation that aaron henry has declared for the nba draft that has hap- also happened since we last convened for the spartan speak podcast um you got him, you got Tillman in the draft. You, we're we'll be kind of waiting to see where Cassius Winston could potentially get drafted as well. What does your guys' kind of feel for how the, the, the things end for those three? Uh, you know, I, I do think that, that, that Cassius Winston is going to get an opportunity somewhere and get a long look because he can do – you really have to use your imagination pre-draft when you look at his frame and his athleticism. 
But if you just look at his game and moments where he, I mean, you know, you know, he, first of all, he's a better athlete than people realize. He knows where he wants to go. His vision is incredible. He's a a point guard who can shoot, pass, do a lot of things. I just think he's got more skill and feel for the game than most backup point guards in the NBA. And that's essentially what you're probably projecting him as. And if he develops into more than that, great. Um, So I I think he'll get a a, a good look from somebody in in the second round and, and probably be on a roster. Tillman's the, I mean, Henry, I think will come back. I just don't know that I'm not saying he wouldn't get picked. I'm not saying he wouldn't land in a good spot. It just seems like he's a guy who would benefit from that because there's, you know, he was, yeah, he was much more solid late and he might've had a big March that we'll never see. Uh, we'll never know, but there's a lot to him, but I think between the years and in terms of consistent motor, he's got a show. And then Tillman, yes, there are things he could add in the college game that may help him his shot lateral quickness, you know, pinching around the rim a little bit. But his last two weeks of the season were incredible. And on film, I, you know, I, I think it'll be – for him, it'll be about what he hears. and Because you do see all sorts of reports, like late second round, late first round. Like, that, that's a big difference between those two things. Um, you know, is there going to be guaranteed money for him? I think there will be. Uh, ultimately, he's got to decide, does he hear from teams, if I come back and do this – that I am a first-round lock and there's a lot more money for me and there's a lot more benefit or not. And if, if, if your ceiling is sort of as a draft pick what you are right now, then, then go. I, but I, for him, I truly believe it's probably 50-50 and, and leaning, leaning staying in. I, I'd agree with you on the numbers and percentage, but I also think that there's more to it than just simply that as well. Um, you know, I think people have kind of rushed – saying, well, he needs to support his family and everything else. But they're getting by pretty well. And, you know, the one thing about the married housing in Michigan State is it gives him some consistency. It gives him uh, some some ability to be with his kids as they're young. Um, do, my question would be for him is, and I would imagine he's asking himself this, do you want to play an 82-game NBA, NBA schedule or be on a, a – a contract, a two-way contract with an NBA team or in the G League where you maybe don't know where you're going to be uh, on a given week and bounce around throughout the course of the year, or would you prefer to take that year with, with your young children and your wife and and stay in a stable situation that you're there, work towards your master's degree for some long-term uh, backup uh, and flexibility educationally for when the basketball career does end and then go again the next year. So I think there's more to it than just simply the basketball side of it. And I think, and I also think that it is, I kind of think about it more and more from, from his perspective and it is that there's also that component of, of the stability factor. I mean, the, the, the G league life and the NBA life, you know, you're on the road 42 games a, a season at minimum. And if you're on a two-way deal, it could be even more than that. Um, you're talking weeks at a time away rather than a couple hours, you know, or two days away as, as you are right now in college basketball. So certainly some things where you're that need to go into that beyond the basketball. Henry, I think I, I agree with you on that. I think he's this year's Nick Ward uh, circa 2017, uh, where or I guess it was 2018 
where he came out of that year, went and tested the draft process, discovered what agents and what uh, front office people and scouts thought of his game, the positives that, that he had with it, but also the, the drawbacks and, and things he needed to work on to, to be a long-term pro rather than a, a draft pick or uh, just a, a flame-out guy. So, you know, he, he tested the process that year came back to school, then went back the following year. So I could see Aaron Henry taking that route. Um, the, the skills there, um, I, I think you, you've you seen that at times. The, the raw skill and raw talent uh, to be a pro, a next-level kind of guy is there for Henry. Uh, but I think I agree with you. The consistency, both motor and, and uh, performance is there. And then for Cassius Winston, I think that there's, you know, he, he had a, a lot of things that I think, we talked with him uh, last Monday, and there were a lot of things that he talked about. I, I think one in particular that, that I asked him about was was his effectiveness at the next level. And he was kind of saying he's looking forward to not being the guy, you know, not having to be the, the guy to shoulder everything and play 40 minutes a game. And, you know, remember his knees were bad last year. Uh, and, you know, you wonder, you know, where they were at this year going into the stretch run. Uh, when you start playing back-to-back-to-back games, uh, you know, but the ability that I think he'll be have coming off the bench at the next level and playing in more contained bursts, I think, make him a more effective player. Um, but the other thing I think that he he talked about is kind of the overarching theme for all three of these guys. When's it going to happen? I mean, the NBA and the Chicago Tribune uh, here Thursday did a story about just how these guys are all in limbo. And, and Winston talked about that, you know, I'm working out hard right now as if the draft is going on as expected. But if it gets pushed back, because um, I know they're, they're dealing with the the early entrant deadline, uh, you know, they're be- trying to be flexible with that, but they're also trying to figure out when and where the draft might happen. Uh, if they, I've heard possibly August. I've heard potentially September. You know, if you're a guy that's preparing for it, you're kind of in, in limbo right now because you don't want to, like Cash has said, go too hard for so long right now and then grind yourself to a nub and then try and take some time off. And then all of a sudden they thrust the draft right back on you. So it's, it's kind of a weird process for all three of these guys to, to get ready and showcase their abilities, but who knows if, and when that'll be. Yeah. And I think Cassius is, you know, maybe more helped by this than, than, than Henry, like Cassius is a guy who is not going to physically, like if there's an NBA combine, Cassius doesn't show up and wow you on a measurable Right. And, but he's gonna do, you know, he's gonna interview extremely well. Whereas Henry, you know, when you when you see him next to other guys, and he, you know, he does certain things, and I think he's already defensively NBA ready. But but you, the thing about Henry is, it would be, the thing would be a shame for him is when you do have some of the skills there. Like you're not a you're not a knucklehead. You're a really smart guy. You're somebody who sees yes. the floor really well. Um, you have a lot of skills. You may not have the alpha dog personality. You don't need the NBA doesn't necessarily need that. You can be a lockdown defender and a, a good role player. Um, but there needs to be, you know, the, the, the rebounds per minute for Henry. He plays and he plays a lot of time. I mean, there are too many games where he just doesn't impact the game as he could with his athleticism. Those are things that he, he needs to have a year where he does, I think. And, and because the shame for him would be, I think so much of his game can grow into an NBA game. The shame would be is if he doesn't give himself that time to grow and doesn't get the proper look. He'll probably get a good look anyway, but doesn't you know you get a better look if you're if you, they got money tied to you. One well, here's the other thing too is they push back the June third deadline, right? Right. right. Um, 
where does this leave Michigan State? Where does this leave Tom Mizzo? Because now they don't have a date set yet for the withdrawal at the NCAA level. You're trying to get some players or you need to bring in some other guys. It's just you, you talk about the domino effect of all these things that are going on with the coronavirus. That's another one that's going to affect the basketball program in terms of trying to figure out the roster. Um, you know, are you going to have those th- or two guys back? Are you going to have one of them back? Uh, how many scholarships do you have? Is there room right. for a guy like Kareem Maine um, or Mane? Um, is there room for a grad transfer like Michigan's adding? You just don't know right now. Yeah, he said yesterday there, or Tuesday, what day is it, Thursday. So he said Wednesday that, you know, it may be August before the roster's set. And that's that, that's crazy for uh, most college basketball programs that usually start practice in, in, in September. But it's just going to be that kind of year. All right, let's go off the court slash field uh, to the seemingly never-ending Curtis Blackwell lawsuit that Maybe actually be coming to end here now. Uh, and more breaking news on Wednesday, this one regarding that. Uh, the lawsuit against Mark D'Antonio, Luana Simon, and Mark Hollis has been dismissed. Uh, there's been a lot of bluster about this, especially online and through various news articles. Uh, what is your guys' reaction to that the decision by the courts? Well, I think that the important thing with this is that the, the case itself is not done um, in terms of Blackwell still having a lawsuit in federal court. It's just, I believe, now against the two MSU police officers who uh, arrested him that day at the the MSU football building, uh, Simon Hollis and uh, uh, D'Antonio are no longer defendants in that case, but also Blackwell's attorneys were removed from the case. So he has to find new legal representation for that other part of the case to continue. That's one piece. Secondly, there's still a case going on in state court uh, with Blackwell suing D'Antonio et al. Um, in Wayne County, I believe. So that's that's the second part. So it's not gone away, um, but a big step for for those three in terms of Hollis, Simon, and D'Antonio was getting their names taken off that that federal lawsuit. So uh, certainly uh, that's a big moment for, for them and a big victory for, for their attorneys. And, and for MSU as they try to move on, I mean, the thing about, you know, if you're MSU right now, you, you know, Hollis and, and Simon and, and D'Antonio are no longer there, which is amazing to think. Like three years ago, the idea that all yeah. three of those would no longer be around. Look, the thing that Michigan State wants to do is they want to enjoy the Mel Tucker era and let this thing get off on the right. And, and you know, the, the, when none of the people are around anymore that, you, that you're suing, if ultimately the, I'm not saying the school doesn't have culpability and there's not shame bought on the school if something goes wrong, but it's, you know, you, you sort of, you're looking at a new era, right? And, and that's where I, I think the, the school would like the focus to be. And the, I agree with you on that. As much as they can, they want to put the past in the past. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many of these other cases kind of linger. But but I don't think they have the impact because, as you said, they, the the principals involved are all no longer at the university. All right, let's uh, go back onto the field and talk a little MSU football in terms of the NFL draft and undrafted free agent signings. Uh, the the draft and happened really short, a couple days after we last recorded, so we'll just kind of hit on that quickly. Only two football players got drafted, Josiah Scott in the fourth round by the Jaguars, and then Kenny Willekes in the seventh round of the Vikings. And there, But there were a number of undrafted free agent signings, Brian Lewerke to the Patriots, Joe Bocci to the Saints, Ray Quan Williams to the Eagles, 
Daryl Stewart to the Packers, Cody White to the Chiefs, Tyler Higby to the Vikings, and Mike Panashuk to the Saints. What stands out there for you guys? Chris, go first. Well, I think that Josiah Scott playing into the fourth round, to me, was a little bit of a surprise just simply because of his size, but there's no no question that his ball skills are, are what got him there, uh, his coverage ability. And, you know, it sounds like they're going to use him more in a nickel role because of his size, but he'll have that flexibility to, to work outside and inside. So I think that's that's going to be a pretty good landing spot for him. Willikas going that late, um, you know, it, it's probably not the first round grade that he was hearing, you know, the late first round grade, second round grade that he was hearing, uh, the high watermark of a year before, ago before his leg injury. But I think you also have to, to keep in mind, uh, just in, in talking with him leading up to the draft, he was probably playing at like 75, 80% last year uh, and still had a pretty good year, just didn't have the same kind of get off. Uh, but he was also only eight, nine months removed from that broken leg. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, maybe the Vikings get a steal there. Um, but I think there's concerns about size at the NFL level for a defensive end like that. Uh, you've seen other undersized DNs struggle. Like, I mean, even Shalik Calhoun, as great as he was at Michigan State, uh, became more of a 3-4 linebacker in the NFL. Willikas, could he become that? Maybe. Uh, and then the other guys, um, you know, th- there's good landing spots for most of them. Uh, but obviously, I think the the big one is Lewerke. Uh teaming up with Brian Hoyer in, in New England, um, two former Michigan State quarterbacks, the bookends of Mark D'Antonio's tenure, uh, kind of getting together post-Tom Brady era in New England. Uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to see how much Hoyer can teach Lewerke, um to, to have that kind of 10, 12-year NFL career that he had uh, as an undrafted guy. I think it, it's a, that, to me, is a good fit because of that for Lewerke, as well as playing for Belichick in that offense and everything else. You, you went to a place where they don't necessarily care if you were drafted. Right. right? I mean, a lot of places, uh, you know, they, they really – I mean, this is the same team that got rid of all their other quarterbacks and kept Hoyer as the sole backup to Tom Brady 11 years ago. And so – you know, I'm not saying he's the same guy. And the, the thing for the work he is going to be, man, it, can can he can he show that accuracy? But he'll he'll you know he'll be liked in the locker room. He'll be somebody who's a good student, and he'll I think he'll get a, a, a you know fair look there, which is all you can really all you can really ask. I was surprised that Raekwon Williams didn't go. I really was. Yeah. That was a surprise for me, and really, I mean, I, I sat next to a guy in Arizona. Raekwon Williams junior year in that early season game who does a lot of, you know, draft coverage recruiting and, you know, different you know, prospect stuff. And he just loved Raekwon Williams motor. He's like draft that guy today. And it wasn't like Williams was awful after that. I don't, you know, I don't know if he was as dominating as he'd, he'd been at times. He's not an over, he's not a, somebody who just barrels through you, but I, I think he's got a chance to be a good NFL player. I would still be surprised. And he, you know, super nice kid. Not a locker issue. Um, I, at I just, a position at a position where a lot of guys can be on that defensive line. I, yeah, I would. To me, I would. I would be surprised if he doesn't find a way to pick in the league um, for, for for a little while. And the, the other guys, I, I was surprised that people talked a lot about his get off. Uh, you know, from uh, initial burst off the snap as being a reason right. why. 
Uh, you know, I mean, because he does have that motor. I mean, you see that motor as he plays through things. And uh, I think you saw it in the, that, that final game against Boston or against uh, Wake Forest at, at the pinstripe bowl that he was playing through things and played a, a pretty ferocious game. But, you know, it's the initial impact off the snap that people were concerned about with him. Um, so things that he's going to have to show that he can do uh, in a camp situation against, you know, first against the other undrafted guys and, and rookies and then against veterans. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Since we last convened for the podcast, Michigan State football has seen six football players commit. Uh, Charles Brantley, cornerback from Venice, Florida. Michael Gravely Jr., safety from Glenville, Ohio. Hampton Fay, quarterback from Texas, Cameron Allen, a tight end from Texas, Kevin Wigington, an offensive lineman from New Jersey, and Mark Bassett, a punter from Australia. Chris, any anything interesting stand out from those six commits? Well, I think the interesting thing is that Gabe Neely uh, is not on that uh, list, and and where his future is, um, you know, a big safety from Florida who was very vocal in his commitment, and then kind of scrubbed Michigan State from his Twitter account, but. Uh, in a graphic, like one of the other guys in his class tweeted out, he's still listed. So, um, you know, he has not responded to to whether or not he has decommitted from this class. I know a lot of people have been asking and wondering that. So uh, to this moment, he's still part of this class, although he is also active in retweeting other offers that he has. So really interesting and weird situation that I'm sure with everything that's going on, uh, both with Tucker's program and just with around the country that you're going to see kind of some of this where, where guys are just going to be waffling because there's no football to be played. Yeah, such, such a weird 180 for, for a game nearly in terms of all the stuff he was even getting into it with Michigan fans on Twitter and talking about, you know, Michigan state, how great things were going to be in the next couple of years. And then all of a sudden just hard turn everything, every other school sent to him, temple, uh, Miami, and Florida International, Florida International, right. Florida Atlanta, yeah, all those schools that he's, he's a seventeen-year-old kid, right? Yeah. And we presume, I mean, who knows? But some of these guys uh, are, are older than that. But it's a seventeen-year-old kid who's um, got a lot of options, and he's got adults who you like who are trying to lure you to their schools, and everything sounds good. I, I you know, I think this is, you know, what happened in the D'Antonio situation with the way they did not take commits until they were sure and you could not visit other things. That was the exception, not the rule. We, we really don't know what the Mel Tucker year is going to look like in terms of that, in terms of them going after kids who are committed in terms of how, I mean, it, it there, there really isn't uh we don't have a, a, a sure sense of that. And it's such a weird year. Think about these guys aren't getting to take their normal visits either. You know, there, there may be things that change because of that. I, to me, like it, it, it's one of the reasons just so hard to get, interested in a 17 year old until they sign right because yeah what they're going to do yeah and i mean but that's kind of where we're at right now here in in late may of 2020 and all the other stuff i mean recruiting is kind of the one thing that's still ongoing um you know you don't have spring football you don't have uh a lot of recruiting in terms of basketball you don't have a lot of off-season stuff going on with any of the sports because of the shutdown um Recruiting never stops, and the interest in recruiting, of course, now is a little higher just simply because it's, that's pretty much it, you know, and although we are getting some things back like golf and NASCAR and who knows, maybe maybe in a couple of weeks, football will be uh, in limited doses back on the field. 
Yeah, I do think uh, a couple interesting notes from the six that I've committed in the past month. You know, Mark Bassett, the the Australian punter, they're going trying to go that route again. He's 23 years old. It looks like they've got their quarterback for the 2020 class in Hampton Fay, a kid who was injured most of last year. So, and, and the Spartans, I guess, believing enough in him to kind of take a flyer on him, and, and see, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, it sounds like Tucker was was involved in in mm-hmm. identifying and recruiting him early throughout the Colorado. Uh, during his time at Colorado, so there was a, that relationship continued, and that's a, that's an important place to get into. I mean, what's interesting to me is that you know Hampton Fay kind of you know it, the, that's how D'Antonio got his really first quarterback commitments. Uh, you know, he had one in state with Kirk Cousins, but then he also got Nick Foles late from Texas, and you know, Foles went on to become a really good quarterback. And there's obviously a lot of quarterback talent there, so um, you know. It, it's, it's interesting to see where these guys are from and how broad-based uh, they've been able to go, even being restricted to to not traveling right now. Yeah, I should note that all six of those guys are three-star players, as are as is every other player currently in the 2021 mm-hmm. class. All right, let's move on to a couple quick hitters here. We'll start with Cassius Winston. Uh, he met with the media last week for the first time since the end of the basketball season. Uh, all three of us were there. He talked to, to us for a little over a half hour, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, did you guys have any kind of takeaways from what he said and what he talked about and you know, kind of how he views his future? No, it's Cassius being Cassius, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything really re- revealing there other than um, just sort of what the process is like and how different it is. And, and um, th- there wasn't anything I thought was, was, was earth-shattering. Uh, but it, it, you know, I'll be honest. It, Cassius is one of these players that I've covered that I'm going to miss, um, just because he's he's a nice guy and you enjoy those conversations. And everything happened abruptly this year. And Chris would agree with this. Like you didn't you didn't plan on your final sort of regular conversation interview with him in a locker room not uh, to be that after that Ohio State game or whatever. Yeah. You know, I thought you had to a not, few to go to not be at an NCAA tournament setting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I mean. You know, and I think that's what was interesting with that is that it, it's beyond just him being a nice guy, too. I mean, he's, he's a really smart kid who who can talk about a number of different things. He talked about his video game habit that he had and, you know, the things that he's been able to do with his brother. I know him and his brother are living together right now in East Lansing, uh, which is probably good for both of them, considering the year that they've gone through. Um, just there's, there's just so many things with that that I think we're going to miss on in our jobs with Cassius Winston because he was he has an ability to sum up things big picture and break things down micro that uh, I think both him and Xavier Tillman do that and put a lot of different things into perspective uh, both in basketball and life that uh, that's rare it's rare to get one guy on a team like that but to have two guys on a team like that with him and Tillman has has been for us. Uh, kind of a, the spoils of riches in some ways. Last time we talked, Pierre Brooks had yet to make a decision, and he made his decision a couple of days after we last recorded, and he committed to Michigan State basketball. He will be a guard in the next class. Uh, Chris, what were your thoughts on Brooks and, and, his, and his commitment? It was first 2021 recruit. I think that's a, you know, a building block to that next phase and, and shows that it is a, first of all, has his eyes set on more than just this being his last year, I think. I don't think that there was any 
uh, you know, there's always that talk is maybe Izzo done. And I don't think that, I think that it's kind of lessened here. Uh, the last few years is you've been re-energizing the recruiting realm and, and got some kids. And I think Brooks is going to be one of those kind of combo guards that, that it's electric. He can get to the rim. He can finish. And he wants to be a Michigan state Spartan. I think that's, that's the kind of player you want. Yeah. He, I mean, he looks like, I mean, he was a top 75, top hundred kid, um, that not you know one of the things that's interesting is they don't they're not going to have the normal Vegas right. circuit this summer kid like that might blow up still growing six five big hands I mean that's you know it, it is um, there are some advantages uh, and ability to there I think there are going to be a lot of guys like that in college basketball sleepers that some schools get now the shame for all those schools is the new transfer rules change you may only have them for a year or two and they'll just go somewhere else if they, they outplay the level there that they think they're at. But yeah, I, I think it was a good get. He looks like a real deal in terms of a guy who's not, I mean, there's a sweet spot they've sort of found here, right? You're not recruiting. When you recruit a guy like Miles Bridges, who's the, the rare exception that comes back, you get that guy for a year. And a lot of those championship teams, it's not that you don't want Darren Jackson, you don't want Miles Bridges, but you also need guys with sweat equity, guys who develop in the stars as juniors and seniors and uh, this guy, I think, has some of that ability. You know, one thing I think, uh, and I apologize to Phil, because we talked about Kareem Manet earlier, but I don't think we've talked about his decision to enter the NBA draft. Um, so he's another guy that, you know, for a 2020 recruit, he, his decision is going to be in limbo along with Tillman and, and along with Aaron Henry uh, is potentially going to college. So uh, that's kind of something just to keep in mind uh, as as we enter the next month or two when, when they figure out what's going on with the NBA draft. All right. Well. Things are falling apart here recording-wise, so this might be a good time to uh, to end things. And you guys have any final thoughts? Well, hopefully next time we talk, th- there will be some clarity on some things. I mean, that's that, that's the one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to is having a conversation with both of you when we can say, hey, this, is, this looks like a reporting date. This looks like a schedule. And begin to actually uh, – and, and there may be more news on some other fronts, but it, begin to get interested and excited about the idea of covering and watching college football and, and, and sports again. Yeah. Cause I mean, what really all that we could do is educated guesses and speculation right now on so many different fronts, uh, just simply because of the things that are going on at the highest levels of, of administrations and colleges. I mean, this is presidents and athletic directors and conferences all right now meeting to try and figure out what's next. And, you know, then what happens next, just globally we just we just don't know it's kind of it's kind of a weird limbo for sports and hopefully we do like you said graham get get back to normal we can talk sports and not speculate sports thank you for joining us for this edition of spartan speak a production of the lansing state journal detroit free press and the usa today network if you enjoyed this podcast and the work surrounding it please consider subscribing you can follow our coverage at lsj.com freep.com and on twitter at graham underscore couch at chris solari at Phil underscore friend and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. 
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.